By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And other had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made. This morning, we want to uh, give some summary thoughts from this section, verses 32 through 38. It, 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 it's really an incredible listing of incredible people and incredible events that are referenced from the Old Testament. We're just going gonna to kind of plow through it this morning and then back up and make a couple of observations and applications, Lord willing. We could take really a week on every individual mentioned or every phrase that's listed in, this, in, in these verses, the events that are listed, but we're going to kind of just move quickly through it and, and see the basic or general lessons uh, that we can learn. Verse number 32 says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11, ultimately the Holy Spirit, and we're not entirely sure what penman he used in this epistle, but God the Holy Spirit, he hasn't run out of examples of faith from the Old Testament. He hasn't run out of illustrations of faith from the Old Testament, just running out of time. He said, the time would fail me. He said, and what shall I more say? There's a whole lot more to say. The list in Hebrews 11 is not exhaustive. He's not given all the names of those who trusted God and obtained a good report, uh, but these are selected for a certain purpose, and the example and the lessons they teach us are certainly important. The, the verse goes on to list a few names. Gideon, remember him? Judges 6. Barak, jumping back a chapter, Judges 5. Samson, a little bit forward in the history of the Judges. And Jephthah, that's Judges 11. Of David also, Samuel, and the prophets, it's interesting the order in which these names are given. Uh, we, we, we move from the conquest of Canaan recorded in, in the book of Joshua, and that was uh, verses 30 and 31, walls of Jericho falling down, Rahab perishing not. And the, the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11 falls the, follows the historical narrative of the Old Testament. So following Joshua and the conquest of Canaan, we move into the period of the judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Uh, and then Samuel is the link between the judges and the kings. And then the kings in that period of Israel's history, represented by the mention of David and following the, the period of the kings and, and of the prophets, are mentioned in verse 32. And then what these men and others like them did, verse 33, 
who through faith subdued kingdoms. Try to pick out the events that could be the events from the Old Testament that could be described as the subduing of kingdoms, and you realize it really comprises a great deal of the record in the Old Testament. From the time that Israel is delivered from Egypt's bondage and protected through the wilderness wanderings and taking possession of the land that God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the land of the Canaanites, and then continually defending that land from the oppression of their enemies and then being taken captive because of their rebellion and their idolatry and coming back and reclaiming the land and building the walls and fighting off the enemies. Much of the Old Testament is the record of people subduing kingdoms. But in this verse, in Hebrews eleven thirty three, who, who through faith subdued kingdoms, it's not talking about necessarily nation versus nation. It's not necessarily talking about army versus army. This is pointing us to individuals. This is pointing to one man subduing an entire kingdom. And that takes your thoughts a little bit different direction. You might think of, Samson single-handedly holding off the Philistines. You might think of David going toe-to-toe with Goliath, the champion of that same people, and winning a great victory for God that subdued the entire kingdom. You might think about Elijah. Remember what Ahab called him? The troubler of Israel. One man prayed, and three and a half years, not a drop of water, fell on the ground. Elijah affected the entire nation. There's a similar reference in the New Testament, Acts 17, 6. Speaking of Christ's followers in the, in the days of the early church, the Bible says these men that have turned the world upside down. There have been individuals throughout history who because of their faith and trust and belief in God and obedience to what He called them to do, have altered the course of the history of nations who through faith subdued kingdoms. you think Martin Luther had any idea the far-reaching consequences of those 95 theses he nailed on the door of the church at Wittenberg that day? But what he did, it, it, it altered the course of history. This, this new doctrine to them of salvation, justification by faith alone. And what I want to say to you from this phrase, and then we'll move on, you have no idea what kind of an effect or influence that your life could have if you begin to make your decisions based upon the Word of God. If your choices and your actions and your direction in life is based on, thus saith the Lord, the will of God as revealed in the scripture. If you walk by faith and live by faith and just follow the Lord each step at a time as he gives you direction, take that direction and, and, and do everything you know to do now. You have no idea what type of influence your life might have through faith subdued kingdoms. Your life of faith, it could change a country. Your life of faith, it could spark revival in your entire church. One of you 
could start taking this seriously and it would be a spark, it would lead a movement, it would start something with all of us where others would follow along behind and everybody's life be affected. What if you made the decision, I'm going to live for God, believe God, follow God, trust God. Maybe it affect a nation, maybe it affect a church, maybe it affect you, maybe it just affect your family. Maybe alter the course of your family's history. Never underestimate the far-reaching influences of choosing to live by the word of God and live by faith. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Who through faith wrought righteousness. Does that not remind you of what we studied last week in James chapter 2? Faith that works is dead. That is, faith that is real is to produce something. Faith, faith is demonstrated by the choices we, we make, the actions that we take, the way that we live our lives. Some examples from the Old Testament of men who through faith wrought righteousness come to mind. Some of the, some of the righteous kings of Judah. Remember Asa who removed his mother from being queen because of her idolatry? That was not that was not, probably not an easy thing to do. That was maybe not a very popular decision, but it was the right thing to do. Why did he do the right thing even when it wasn't necessarily popular or simple or easy? Because he read the word of God and based on the word of God, he knew what he had to do. Because he believed it, he did it. Think of Hezekiah or Josiah. Men, kings, who led their nation in great times of revival. When I read righteousness, I think of Nehemiah and the reforms that he implemented as the people came back to Jerusalem. And he, he, had, he had some battles to fight. He had some opposition. He had lots he had to correct, but he was faithful and he did right. I think of Daniel, carried away to Babylon, given Babylonian names, taught a Babylonian language, offered Babylonian food. He's away from his home, away from his family, away from everything he's ever known, away from the temple, but he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Why? Through faith, he wrought righteousness. Through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises. Man, think about all the promises in the Old Testament, the promise to Adam and Eve. And the Messiah would come, the seed of the woman to bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. What a great promise. Think of, think of the promise to Noah, I'll never again flood the earth with water. Think about the promise to Moses and the nation of Israel. I'm going to bring you to this land. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you, if you rebel, I'll, I'll, I'll remove you from the land. Think about the promise given to David. I will make you a king and make you a dynasty. And, and your seed will sit upon the throne of Jerusalem, ruling over Israel forever. And those are some of the... Those are some of the covenant promises we have in the Old Testament. There are so many individual promises, personal promises. But you know, the Bible says to us, 2 Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You need to lay hold on those. You need to find those. You need to claim those. You need to, you need to allow those to guide and direct your life. You need to allow those promises to get you through times of difficulty and trial and hardship. Learn to trust the promises of God. Who through faith, verse number 33, stopped the mouths of lions. And our minds immediately go to Daniel and the night he spent in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. By faith, God delivered him. It's, there are other possibilities, though. That, that could have reference to many people in the Old Testament. Remember Samson in Judges 14? 
A lion came against him and he just he, he killed it. Or David, 1 Samuel 17, lion came to take one of his sheep and with his bare hands, he killed the lion. Think about Benaiah. The Bible says one of David's mighty men, he slew a lion in a pit in a snowy day. I'd hate to come across a lion. I'm sure enough not going down into a pit to fight one. But Benaiah did. Verse 34, quench the violence of fire. That's another event from the book of Daniel. Remember Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace, but one in there likened to the Son of God, the great faith that they demonstrated when they said, King, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We believe our God's going to deliver us, and if not, we're still not bowing down. To your image and to your idol, they become a great type and great picture of the preservation of the Hebrew remnant during the coming time of tribulation. Verse 34, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Think about David escaping Goliath's sword. Or what about David escaping the sword of Saul? What about Elijah when Jezebel was coming after him? Or Elisha when the king of Syria is trying to find out where he is and he sends that great... Uh, great, great company to, 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 to apprehend him and bring him in. And then Elisha prays that the, the, the servant that was with him, his eyes would be open and, oh, there's more with us than with them. Jo- Jonathan, the great battle he did with the Philistine host in 1 Samuel 14. So many examples. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness made strong. Ehud was a man left-handed, supposedly a weakness, but that's a really interesting tale of what he did to the king of Moab that we're not going to detail about this morning. Jael, a woman driving that tent stake through the temple of Sisera, captain of the host of Jabin, king of the Canaanites. What about Gideon hiding behind the threshing floor? So that the Moabites wouldn't come and take away the grain and steal the crops. And the angel comes and scares him to death and announces, Thou mighty man of valor. Like, who are you talking to? Gideon, the one who, to whom God said, I'm, I'm going to give you great deliverance. Well, you got to prove it to me. I want the fleece wet and the ground dry. And it happened. Oh, well, what I really said is I want, the, I want the ground wet and the fleece dry. And it happened. And uh, you know what, Gideon, if you're still scared, go down to the host and they'll tell you about a dream. And, and he went because he was still scared. And they said, man, I had this dream about this huge barley cake coming in and smashing everybody. Oh, that has to be Gideon. And then they went out of weakness or made strong. Samson, strongest man in the Bible, but his appearance was just like any other man. Isaiah, out of weakness. Jeremiah, I'm just a child. I can't do this. Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. But God said, look, I, I'm going to send you, and, and, and whatever I tell you, that's what I want you to say. What about Moses? He made excuses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. I'm, I'm a slow speech, I'm of a slow tongue. Certainly there's somebody else who can do this. But God said, no, I want you. David, when Samuel came to anoint the next king, oh, it has to be one of the other brothers. <laughs> they looked like kingly material. David was ruddy. David was small. David was just that little shepherd boy. Out of weakness. That's how God chooses to do it. 1 Corinthians 1.27 He has chosen the weak things of the world to confound 
the things which are mighty. Paul found in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's strength is made perfect in weaknesses. All the people in the Old Testament God used had excuses for why God couldn't use them. But those excuses were valid. You know what? All of us have weaknesses. Even those of us who don't think we have weaknesses, we all have weaknesses. And we all think that we have excuses for why God can't use us to do whatever it is that he wants to do through us, but none of those excuses are valid. All of those excuses are just excuses. The Bible says through faith out of weakness, we're made strong, waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight. The armies, the aliens, much of the Old Testament is really enjoyable, especially to guys. It's war, it's bloodshed, it's killing, it's gore, it's fighting, it's battles. There are a lot of underdog stories. Have you noticed that? Like the person who's not supposed to win, the nation that doesn't have a chance. The odds are stacked against them, and yet they come out victorious. Now, it's, it's, it's not just something you know, to make a movie out of. It's, it's, it's a demonstration of faith and the results of God working on their behalf. Turn to fight the armies of the aliens. Wax valiant. Guess what? Your Christian life is going to be full of fights. Maybe not like duking it out on the playground. That's not what I'm talking about. You're, but we're in a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Weapons over warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down. You're going to have to fight your thoughts. You're going to have to fight your mind. You're going to have to fight your heart. You're going to have to fight the world and the flesh and the devil. It's going to be a struggle. But you can be valiant. You can be victorious. You can be more than a conqueror. You cannot be subdued by your enemies, but you can subdue the flesh and win great victories for God. How? If you believe his word and believe enough to do what it says through faith. Wax valiant in fight. Verse 35 says, women received their dead, raised to life again. Remember that widow of Zarephath? Elijah came. She made a little cake for him first and then... And then the, 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 the oil didn't fail, the little meal, and, the, and then her son died. But God raised him back to life. Remember the, the, the son of the widow of, Sh- or not, not the widow, the woman of Shunem? This, this, this lady, she'd made a, a prophet's chamber for Elisha when he was passing through. And, and what, what can we do for you? And she didn't have a son. God gave her a son. The son died. Then he's raised to life again. The New Testament, we think of Mary and and Martha receiving their brother Lazarus from the dead. John 11, the widow of Nain, has her son raised. In Luke chapter 7, Jairus and his wife saw Jesus raise their daughter. Women received their dead, raised to life again. God, God can take what looks like a hopeless situation and change that thing instantaneously. Uh, but it's a response to faith. Verse 35, now, now there's a shift. Because everything from verses 32 through 35a been pretty positive, pretty upbeat, pretty rah-rah. But it's, it's going to change right here. The Bible says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. God's saints throughout the ages have been given a choice. Recant your faith in Jesus Christ or torture. Recant your faith in Jesus Christ or the stake. Recant your faith in Jesus Christ or, worse, we'll torture your kids. 
You ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? You, you ought to read some of that stuff. Either renounce your faith or suffer unimaginable hardship, pain, difficulty. Torture is worse than martyrdom. These people, by faith, were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. We'll come back to that phrase. Verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. You go all the way back to Genesis. Think of Joseph, unjustly imprisoned. Think of Samson. They mocked him as they used him to grind in the prison house. Think of Jeremiah, unjustly accused and left to die in the dungeon. Micaiah. That prophet that King Ahab hated because he never said what was good, but he said what was true. Hebrews 13, 2 says, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Verse 37, they were stoned like Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada in 2 Chronicles 24, by Josiah no less. What about righteous Naboth in 1 Kings 21, an excellent type of Christ, unjustly accused and put to death. In the New Testament, you have Stephen being stoned, Acts 7. Paul was stoned, Acts 14. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Tradition says what they would do is they would take a hollowed out log and put a person inside of it, and then they would saw the log with the person inside. Tradition says that's what happened to Isaiah. He was sawn asunder by King Manasseh. Isaiah prophesied during the days of Hezekiah during the great revival in Judah's history. Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, had Isaiah sawn asunder. They were slain with the sword. What about David's faithful servant and mighty man Uriah in 2 Samuel 11? Or a prophet by the same name in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 26, slain by the sword of King Jehoiakim. Verse 37, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They suffered poverty and deprivation. Whatever these, whatever Bible these guys are reading that preach on TV and says, if you do right, live for God, you never get sick, and you'll be wealthy, and you have the finest clothes, and the biggest house, and the nicest cars, and a private jet plane. It's not the God these people in the Old Testament served. But they did. They left their mark on the world. Now, you, you, you see there, there are two definite separate sections in that set of verses. Divided right in the middle of verse 35, we have faith that led to great victories in the former section, but then faith that led to great suffering in the latter section. We have some who conquered for God through faith, and then we have others who suffered for God. Through faith. Some were delivered. Others did not accept deliverance. You notice that? Some received their death, dead, raised to life again. Some died in faith. Some conquered. Some were stoned. Some escaped the edge of the sword. Some were slain with the sword. The faith of the second group was no less than the faith of the first group. In fact, you could argue the faith that suffers is greater than the faith that can boast in triumph. Okay, so just two points quickly because we're out of time. The first observation we want to make from Hebrews 11, 32 through 38 is number one, faith doesn't automatically make everything in your life go right. I mean, that, that just jumps off the page and slaps you in the face as you read those verses. 
We've got to have that mindset. We have we, we must come to this real realization that faith isn't going to make my life a bed of roses. Living by the Bible is not going to make everything easy. It's not going to make everything wonderful. I'm still going to have to live life on an earth that is cursed by sin. I am still going to have failures. I'm still going to have weaknesses. I'm still going to make mistakes. I am still going to sin. Read the catalog of men and women, Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, there were exploits through faith, but that's not the entirety of the tale of their lives. Think of Abraham, great man of faith. Think of his failures. Sarah is listed for faith. She laughed at God. David in verse 32, adultery and murder. Okay, so, so it's not an excuse for our lapses of faith. It's not an excuse for our sin, but it is the fact of the matter that we're going to have to sometimes deal with the consequences of our own disobedience. In addition to that, we're going to have to live with the result of living in a world that is cursed by sin. In addition to that, there, there are just going to be trials and hardships brought about because of our faith in God. 2 Timothy 3.12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Faith is not going to make everything in your life automatically go just right. We learned last week about Rahab's faith and how it caused her to escape the destruction she otherwise would have suffered. And we applied that to salvation. If you, if you have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you'll not perish like Rahab didn't perish you won't go to hell you will avoid you will avert destruction that otherwise would come upon you and it not only has application of salvation it has application to our christian lives the reason god gives us commandments and what we can benefit from and obey the commandments is avoiding ruin and heartache and trouble and destruction that would otherwise come in our lives as the result and outworking of sin the way of transgressors is hard, And so why God wants us to be obedient, why God wants us to live by faith, and why God wants us to avoid things, and why God wants us to pursue other things is because he doesn't want us to be harmed by the deceitfulness of sin, the hurtfulness of sin, and all of those things. So, so there, is, there are problems we avoid by walking by faith, but that doesn't exclude us from the other things we mentioned. The, the outworking of the times when we do sin, the, 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 the life we live in a world cursed by sin, and then the suffering and persecution that comes to those who follow Jesus Christ in a world that hates Him. So doing right doesn't make everything go right. Even those that won great victories, the victory was great because it was won against such great opposition. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, they won great victories. Why? Because they had great enemies. Stop the mouths of lion. That's a great victory. Would you like to go to a lion's den? Quench the violence of fire. Well, that's a great story, but it was probably pretty scary at the time. On the other side, we have this wonderful account of God's faithfulness and deliverance, but in the moment before the outcome was realized, I'm certain they viewed the situation entirely differently. Right? Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and them who are called according to His purpose. It, it doesn't say all things are good, because all things aren't good. But God can work, if, if, if we'll live by faith, God can work all things together for good including our mistakes 
It's interesting to think about. Some people say everything in life happens for a reason. But have you seen the sign? Sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and make bad decisions. That's often the reason why certain things happen. But, listen, if if we'll love the Lord, trust the Lord, submit to the Lord, God can even take the messes we make in life and use it to bring out of it something that is good. God's not the author of sin, but when we sin and when we're chasing and when God has to deal with us, He can even use that situation and bring us out better, bring us out stronger, teach us something important. That's the extent of His power, His grace, His love. Hebrews 11, these people were facing dire, dire situations, and I doubt that any of us are going to face martyrdom anytime soon, but it doesn't have to be that kind of a drastic example. Whatever trouble you're facing, whether it's of your own making or life on the earth or persecution, God can bring something out of it for your good and for his glory. Quickly, 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 verse 35, second observation. Number one, faith doesn't automatically make everything in your life go right. Number two, faith looks ahead to the better Resurrection. Others were tortured. Verse 35, not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 6 says, God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And some of those rewards will happen down here. It will be a blessing and benefit to your life to live by faith. But most of the rewards are not realized here. They're realized there. And so it is worth it to endure some things here for what we'll get there, but it takes faith to keep that in mind. We have to really believe it, that God really does reward those who seek Him. And that all comes about at the better resurrection. So faith doesn't automatically make everything go right, and faith looks ahead to a better resurrection. Lord willing, we'll finish with verses 39 and 40 next time. Let's pray again. Father, thank you. Uh, Lord, for these examples, these illustrations, these lessons, help us, Lord, to take them to heart. Pray that you bless in the church service just now. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.